Hello and welcome to B2B Better, a podcast for B2B professionals looking to be better than boring with their marketing. My name's Jason. I've spent the last 10 years building content, social, and communication plans to help B2B companies hit their brand and revenue goals. Every week, I break down the strategies and tactics that you should be thinking about in a fun-sized, actionable chunks, usually with an expert from the field. This is real advice for B2B professionals who want to be better. Let's go. So today on B2B Better, I am very happy to be joined by Melanie Diesel, who is the Director of Content at Foundation Marketing and the author of the Content Fuel Framework, How to Generate Unlimited Story Ideas. How are you doing, Melanie? I'm, I'm great. I'm so happy to be here. I, we've been Twitter friends for so long. It's nice for us to be actually chatting. It's incredible that you can spend you know, 12 months or so, which is as long as I've been back on Twitter talking to someone, and it takes that amount of time to finally get onto a Zoom call and actually have a chat. But I'm really glad that we finally got the chance to, to do that. I know our parents were wrong about not talking to strangers on the internet. <laughs> Absolutely. So you have a, a reputation that precedes you uh, as a <laughs> content marketer. You are very well versed in creating amazing uh, and compelling B2B content. And I want to dig into with you uh, during the course of this interview how to do that because a lot of the listeners of b2b better um, are either part of small marketing teams and perhaps juggling a lot of different plates and don't have an external resource to help them create uh, great compelling content or possibly it could even be the founder who is uh, running a marketing slash content marketing strategy but before we dig into that why don't you tell us a little bit about your background what's your story and uh, what are you doing right now Absolutely. So like you mentioned, I am the director of content at Foundation Marketing, and it's actually a fairly new role for me. So super excited to be joining the the foundation team. Uh, We specialize in content uh, strategy, creation and distribution for B2B and SaaS companies. So really exciting stuff, getting to work with some awesome clients and an awesomely talented team. Uh, but my background is actually in journalism. So I studied journalism in school. I, you know, really thought I would end up at a newspaper somewhere doing like hardcore investigative content or something. (laughs) But uh, I quickly found my way into the world of of marketing. And I realized that there's a lot of value and a lot of benefit in the skills that I used as a journalist when you're working on content marketing and, you know, working in in the marketing world. So it's been a a real whirlwind of a journey for me, changing from from one side to the other. But I spent some time at the Huffington Post. Uh, I spent some time at the New York Times, where I was the first editor of branded content and got to grow T-Brand Studio from uh, me being the very first hire to a team that's now over 100 people. Uh, And I spent the last six or so years running StoryFuel, which was my own uh, consulting firm where I would help brands learn how to tell better stories. So it's been, it's definitely been an adventure, but you know, that thread of storytelling throughout. It's a somewhat similar background to myself, actually, because I also started out in, in, in journalism. And I think that those who have sat on the other side of the table uh, in a media house and responsible for telling stories make, you know, often make the best content marketers, right? Because I think a lot of B2B marketing, and we're going to dig into this a little bit during the interview, sometimes suffers from the, the rep of being a little bit boring and a little bit stale and a little bit inward looking, you know, I am the company, I have this great thing, and you should be listening to me. But when you kind of approach it from a journalistic mindset, you know, that doesn't fly. When I was a journalist, I was often turning away press releases or pitches for for, for um, editorial that were just too self-serving. So, you know, I think if you do come from that journalist background like, like you have, it's a, a real um, 
it's a it's a huge benefit you know in terms of helping reframe the story that delivers value to the reader rather than value to the creator would you say absolutely yeah that's that's definitely a, a, a feeling I totally agree with some of the best content marketers I've known have also come from journalism and I think it's that that instinct about what makes a story worth telling that's really hard to teach and so when you have journalists who, who really understand what kind of content is compelling uh, those folks can learn the the lingo and the acronyms of marketing very quickly and, and put those skills to use for for a brand uh, generally with ease so as I mentioned, the listeners of, of B2B Better um, either are typically part of small marketing teams, perhaps don't have a huge amount of resource, resource or budget um, to create uh, a huge quantity of great uh, content, or they possibly could be a founder-led um, marketing team, at least for the moment. Um, and particularly for that latter group of people um, who are you know, founders, perhaps, um, they're spinning a lot of plates, they've got a lot of things they need to do, you know, facing that content marketing beast can be somewhat daunting. Um, we all know what great content looks like. Um, we all can consume it very easily. Creating it is a whole different kettle of fish. So, you know, what would be, what, what, why should a founder or CEO um, who is building a, a marketing team invest in content marketing? What would you say to them? Well, it's interesting that, you know, so many of us when we're when we're building these new initiatives or launching a new product or whatever the case may be, you know, we don't disagree with the value of, of being on social media, right? We understand that there's value in connecting with our audience and, and, you know, getting out there. We don't disagree that we need a website because we know people are going to look for us. We don't disagree with search because we know, again, they're going to look for us. But the only way they're going to find you is if you have content on that website. You know, the only way that they're going to engage with you on social is if you're sharing something worth sharing. And so content is is not really a an option, I would say. It's really sort of the underpinning of a lot of the other things that we all know and love to be effective marketing tactics. So really, it just comes down to a sense of, of being intentional and saying, okay, since I know that the stories I'm telling and the content that I share is such a big part of all the initiatives that I have. How can I be more intentional there? How can I think more critically about what stories would benefit uh, the goals that we're setting? How can I find people who can help me tell those stories in new and interesting ways? How can I tell my story differently to help me stand out from the competition? So it's not so much a question of, of should you create content? It's more you're going to create content either way, so you might as well have a strategy for it. You've kind of answered my next question already, um, which was, is content marketing suitable for every B2B company? I guess on the other side, do, do you ever see a situation where you know content marketing may not be appropriate right now, um, uh, could, be, could, could, be, could be suitable in the future, but perhaps a, a be, what are the signs that a company may not be ready to um, activate a content marketing strategy or, you know, or need to put in some pieces before they go ahead and do that? Yeah, well, there's there's always varying degrees of these things, right? I think sometimes when we think about a content marketing initiative, we think this has to be a 40-person team and we have to be putting out content multiple times a day and we need an active blog and a YouTube series and, you know, a killer TikTok. And, you know, you think that it's this massive enterprise because often we see examples, you know, of that in our in our space. We're looking at what the big... Uh, those big companies are doing and thinking we have to do the exact same. And, you know, the fact is those folks are not founder-led. They're not small teams. They've got teams of 50 and budgets we could only dream of. So it's not really practical 
you know, to hold ourselves to that standard. And so really the question is more what's feasible for us? What can we do with the resources that we do have? Uh, that's going to be the bigger question. Um, I think, you know, sometimes people think, well, again, I don't have the enough team. I don't have enough budget. And so it's not the right time for me. Um, but you're already communicating with your audience. You're already sending them emails or sending them mail or, you know, talking to them on social media or engaging with them in a storefront, right? You're already having those engagements. So you don't have a choice about creating on some level. So it's really just a matter of figuring out how much effort, time, money, etc. are we willing and able to put toward this to make it as best as we possibly can? I think that's so true. I think it is very easy for us to get, you know, or for marketers or founders or CEOs to get a little bit swept up and seeing all of these incredible channels that they could be distributing content on and perhaps even their competition are distributing content on and feel like I need to do that too. Um, you know, the, the, the case studies that stick out in our mind are the ones that are coming from companies like, you know, Salesforce. But mm -hmm. you've got to remember, Salesforce have got 25,000 people, at least according to LinkedIn, that have the word marketing mm -hmm. in their title. And they spent something like $8 billion last year on sales and marketing efforts. And, you know, that's why they've got a podcast and they're doing paid advertising and they've got a blog that's being updated every single day and they're doing videos and they're on all the social media channels, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I think you're absolutely spot on. It's, it's about being realistic um, and it's about, you know, what is the, particularly when you're starting out, the minimum amount of the minimum amount of input that's going to generate the maximum amount of input, you know, try out output. Yeah. What, what can you, what space can you occupy um, where, it's really gonna, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna hate saying this, move the needle. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it is, it is tough. You can't help but say it sometimes. But yeah, that's exactly right. And everyone has their strengths. So, you know, a lot of times someone will come and say, well, I don't know how to do video. I don't know how to make a great YouTube. And I will ask them, well, what do you know how to do? Are you a great blogger? Are you great on audio? Uh, do you like to design and, and sketch? We'll, we'll find a way to put that uh, you know, I call it a first content language to use. You, If you have something you're good at or your team has something they're good at, capitalize on that because it's going to be much easier for you to succeed using the skills and knowledge and tools you already have than it is for you to have to use up so much of that time that you could be creating with learning new tools, learning new, uh, new systems, learning a whole new language around a different type of content. It's much better to start where you are, you know, in an ideal world. Will you expand and, and make other types of content? Sure. Um, but we're not always in an ideal world, so it's best to be practical. Uh, take what you're already good at try to get great at it with the time and resources you do have and then look for opportunities to grow when you're able 100 percent. the barrier to entry now for a lot of these channels is very low right you got to look at things like clubhouse which you know i'm a little bit on the fence about clubhouse <laughs> as, as a distribution channel but all you have to do is download the app start a room and start talking and you are you know, you're, you're building content there. And that is not too far of a leap away from setting up a podcast um, where you, you know, bring on the guests that you talk to on a clubhouse room and, you know, record it and, and publish it across Apple and Spotify and other podcast directories of choice. Um, and then from that podcast, you can go ahead and repurpose that piece into 101 different things. You know, you take the transcripts and make them into blogs and you can cut audio clips and put them on social media. So, you know, in just two or three moves, you've gone from not being able to do anything to you know, starting the starting that 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 process of creating um, a content flywheel. Absolutely, and another thing that I'm I'm 
always curious why more mark more, more marketers don't do this is there are really talented young people in our communities who are studying things like journalism like video production like communications you know film all kinds of really cool things and those folks they need internships they need opportunities to to practice you know practice their skills and so there's lots of opportunities for you to partner with with local, you know, schools, with a specific class where all the students need to make a certain type of project, to find a really talented young student who's looking for a little bit of extra work on the side, you know, find someone in your community who has the skills you need uh, to help you expand the type or the amount of content you're making. There's there's a lot of opportunity out there, uh, and I think, at least this is my experience. I think a lot of founders, it's tough to let go of some of those things, and it's tough to feel like you know, I can't do all these things anymore because at some point you could. And so it's a little scary sometimes to sort of outsource something that's, you know, really core to your brand, that's your voice in action, that's connecting with your audience. But honestly, sometimes that's the best way for you to do it. You know, you may not be the only one who can speak in the voice of your company. You may not be the only one who can establish a great connection to your audience. And if you want to grow, if you want to scale, if you want to have 25,000 people working in your marketing department like Salesforce, then you're going to have to start, you know, delegating and and outsourcing at some point. So even if it feels scary, like, please know, you may be a small team now, but if you ever want to achieve that bigger vision, then finding someone else who can do some of this stuff for you is a really good place to start. I I think that's spot on. And and I think for, as as you rightly say, a lot of founders, you know, handing over the reins of the voice of the company is a very, very difficult thing to do. Um, And also, you know, it somewhat to somewhat degree it is it is subjective right um content and how someone interprets that content and reacts to that content is a personal response you know it it often isn't binary you know this is right this is wrong this is good this is bad um and uh so so what would be your advice then for a founder who perhaps has started out um you know, creating content across a channel, realizes they need to delegate it out to, to someone else. You know, how can a founder um, best set up a, a market, a content marketing program that scales, you know, as the company grows? Yeah, so there's there's a lot of opportunity here. And, uh, you know, it's hard for me to give a one-size-fits-all answer because everyone's resources and pace and, you know, appetite for this type of thing is different. But as a general rule, I always recommend starting with folks who are outside, uh, especially in those early days. I know it's stressful to take on another salary, to feel like you're responsible for, you know, another family's food on the table. And so working with someone as a contractor or a freelancer is often a, a much less stressful way to sort of whet your appetite and get a little bit a little bit of content creation going so mm. at the most basic level you can look to look to you know tools that are available the the upworks and fivers of the world that give you a chance to connect with someone totally remotely and and you know have them create some content for you that's definitely an option you could run the the local and and student route that i mentioned before and find a find a local group or a local class or a local student who's really ambitious and partner with them on on something on a on a freelance or intern basis uh, that's where i would always start because that allows you the most flexibility uh, to sort of increase and decrease the amount of work you're you're doing uh, without having a tremendous impact you know having to like lay people off for example so that's usually where we like to start 
Once you feel like that's working well and or monitoring and, and managing that is too much for you individually, then I would make one dedicated hire. So someone in charge of content, a content manager, content director, whatever that title is that makes sense for you and have that person then oversee uh, you know these various freelancers or contractors that you're working with and if you continue to grow in that way when that person becomes too overwhelmed to to or too you know strapped to manage the the freelancers you're working with well then maybe you need to bring someone else in house and that's really how I've recommended scaling is you know do it according to your needs and your uh, you know your your resources because I think it's easy for a lot of people to say you know go out hire a director of content hire three writers and a designer and a video person but the reality is a lot of us in those early days like we don't have we don't have the ability to do that right off the bat we're, we're really looking to, to tackle this in smaller bites and so I always recommend looking for for outside resources you could work with on a contractor basis so that you have the freedom as a founder, uh, as a leader, to be able to scale that team up and down in response to your, your situation. That step between, you know, going from founder to, you know, bringing on a, 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 um, a team of freelancers or agencies to help you out, um, to me seems like the most difficult step because that's where you really are, <laughs> you know, letting go of something for the first time. Um, I totally agree with the, the the idea of you know bringing on freelancers for the reason that you know you can scale up, scale down based on your requirements and, and find the right fit. What should a founder be giving to a, a freelancer or an agency, and then later on down the line, you know, a director of content to help guide them on their journey of creating content for that brand? I mean, there are things like you know tones of tone of voice documents. Here's how I want to sound, but you know, is there anything that they should be thinking in terms of like a playbook that they should be handing over to those freelancers just to help guide the ultimate content that will be created. Yeah, so exactly like you said, I always recommend a founder, especially one who feels you know uniquely close to the voice and tone to create documentation because you can't expect someone to embody a voice that you can't describe or, or share. So definitely creating that documentation is, is 100% the first step. Um, the other thing that I think we sometimes forget is people can't read our minds. <laughs> and so sometimes when we assign a freelancer and we say something like, I need an article about XYZ for the website, you know, they don't see the full vision that you see in your head. They don't know what your expectations are. So I always recommend providing a brief. That could be a verbal brief if you're going to meet with them on a call or have them drop by, uh, you know, do a phone call or something. Or it could, you know, it could be a written brief that you just share digitally. And in that, I would describe as much as you can about what you do and don't want in that piece. So instead of saying, I want an article about XYZ, I would say, I want an article of at least 800 words about XYZ. I'd like you to have a section on X, a section on Y, and a section on Z. Please find at least two images that are, you know, royalty free that we can use with this. Make sure you hyperlink all of your sources. And I'd also like if you could find at least one of our customers to quote, uh, to include a quote in this piece, right? Now you're going to get something back that's much closer to what you're actually expecting. And so that kind of detailed brief, not just here's what I want at a high level, but here's what will that make that piece successful in my eyes, uh, that's going to help them deliver something to you on the first draft that's going to be much closer to what you're hoping for. Absolutely. I want to go into a little bit um, how uh, a 
a, a company and a founder can find the ideas of what to talk about. But before I do that, I just want to uh, talk a little bit about the goals around content marketing. Is generating leads the only benefit of creating great content? Oh, definitely not. Um, I mean, leads are important. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Uh, but, you know. <laughs> it was a bit of a loaded question. It was a little bit of a loaded yeah, question. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, leads are definitely important. But, you know, I think there's there's something to be said for using content as a means of establishing authority or, you know, growing your thought leadership, if you want to call it that. This idea that by sharing what you as an organization and you as an individual do and believe and think, that you're going to be able to establish that you are a trusted expert. That increases the likelihood that someone's willing to trust you to become a lead, right? Uh, it's the same reason you get those emails out of nowhere from someone asking you, hey, I need uh, your credit card information because, you know, your family member is stranded at the airport. You don't know who that person is. You've never heard from them before. So why should you trust them, right? We don't want to give our audience, our customers, the same experience. So being able to share what you know and the the results you've created, uh, showcase how much you know about your industry, your space, your products, all of that goes a long way toward building audience trust, building authority, building credibility. And you really can't, I mean, it's really tough to put a value on that. Um, but it's, we, we know that it's important that, you know, people do business with the people they know, like, and trust. So content can, can go a long way toward helping you become, for your audience, someone to know, like, and trust. It's interesting what you said there about it's difficult to put a value on that because I think, you know, um, in my experience talking to B2B companies, often the case is that we write blog post X to generate Y number of leads, right? Mm -hmm. We want to see this many people reading it and this many people clicking our CTA and going through to the landing page and downloading such and such or requesting a demo or something like that. And uh, I've always felt that that kind of approach and mentality, um, you know, limits you from creating, you know, truly compelling content because you're only ever chasing the short term and i've always viewed content marketing as a long-term play I mean, what, what would you say to a, to a marketer who's listening to this who's saying you know i want to create great content but i find myself in a situation where i'm purely creating reactive pieces just to keep chasing those mqls and filling the pipeline how yeah. can i convince my boss to you know think a little bit more longer term. Well, I always like to remind people that the only way you get to the bottom of the funnel is by going through the top of the funnel. So, you know, it's it's nice. part of that buyer journey. Uh, and a lot of times you need that that content that is a little less lead focused just to be able to get folks into that no like and trust zone. So I do think, you know, this type of content, they, they complement one another. There's There's no one silver bullet. They work better together. So that's that's where I like to start. Um, but the other thing is, I think it's really easy for us to to get caught up in the measurability. Now, I'm not saying that measuring your content is not important. Of course, measuring your content is important. You always want to be measuring. You want to be optimizing 100%. However, there are a lot of things we do that we can't quantify the value of immediately, and we still know that they're important. So think about the fact that you have a logo. Some amount of work was spent on that logo and that color scheme. Uh, you can't tell exactly how many leads that logo has given you, but you know that it's important to have a compelling and a professional-looking brand and to be consistent in the way that you represent yourself. You know, showing up to a meeting in a particular outfit, it's probably difficult to quantify, uh, you know, which leads that leads to. However, we know that showing up and being professional and, you know, 
creating a sense of, of trust with, with the people we're meeting with is important and has an impact. So I want you to think of your content in the same way. You know, sure, we will measure it, we will optimize it, but also understand that some of this stuff, it's, it's difficult to quantify because we have gotten so used to quantifying so much digitally. So just as an example, we're used to running paid ad campaigns where, you know, we know exactly how many people saw it and where they were and what they did next and whether they clicked and whether they didn't and what country they're in. We have so much data and yet people still buy billboards and you can't measure the impressions on that exactly, mm -hmm. right? People still buy newspaper ads when you don't know exactly how many people looked at it or for how long or what they did next. You know, there's there's a lot of things that we do where we don't expect that that level of detail and we still know that it does something for us. So yes, by all means, have your very bottom funnel lead focused content, measure that carefully, optimize it down to the pixel, but also know that just because you can't, uh, you know, optimize down to the pixel, a piece sharing your values as a company doesn't mean it's not doing something for you. I'm wary to go off uh, down a road that could probably be its uh, its own episode. Um, but I think everything you're saying resonates so deeply with me because I, you know, I throughout my career have worked primarily in an enterprise B2B environment um, where, you know, historically things like trade shows and press releases have pretty much been the extent of a marketing function within, within the business. Now that's slowly starting to shift, but, you know, still, um, you know, there is some ways to go. And I think the education of the impact uh, of the potential impact of content marketing with other functions across the business um, is a super important part of this puzzle. You know, you you need to be sitting down with your sales team and um, on a you know quarterly basis, biannual basis, annual basis, whatever it is, explaining to them what it is that you're creating or you plan to create, why you're creating it, what impact you expect it to have, and how importantly they can use it to go out there and prospect with their new clients. Now, obviously, it's uh, with their new business opportunities. That's important because you know you want to create this work and you want it to work as hard as possible for you. But then also when that piece of content that perhaps doesn't generate a quote unquote lead in the three months that you're running this campaign, but someone picks up and consumes 12 months later when, you know, they're on a long buying cycle, they're ready to buy. And then they reach out to the person they know within your company, that salesperson. And they say, I saw that great article you wrote last year. Um, let's talk, let's, let's have some, let's have, let's have a conversation about um, your products and services. You, to some extent, at least in my experience, are relying on that salesperson to come back to you and say, you know, you did it, like it, it worked. Mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, so that, that education process I think is really important. You know, content marketing isn't just a, a marketing thing. It's something that spans across the oh, whole business. Yeah. Yeah, and th the other thing about those those marketing plus sales conversations is that it can go both ways. Lis listen to your marketing team and ask them, what are the common objections you get so that we can create content that helps you know inform the customer? Uh, what are the misconceptions and myths that you're working up against? Which are the, the competitors that you keep 
losing business to and we'll look for ways to help differentiate from them specifically you know your your sales team is front line with your customers they have perhaps the best understanding of what type of messaging what type of content makes a difference for your audience what type of content is going to drive them to action what type of content can help avoid them from falling out of the funnel entirely so uh, I think that you know not only should you inform your sales team about the value of what you're doing but you should also see them as a resource for the type of content that might be most valuable 100 percent. so i want to talk a little bit about creating a content plan and, and coming up with ideas you know we've skirted around the edges of this a little bit already you know it's very easy to get sucked into uh all these exciting new distribution channels that we all could be activating in some way or another you know we could have a podcast we could have a tiktok channel we could do this that or the other but as you've said, you know, like a like um, like a car, it needs fuel to go anywhere, right? It needs that content to actually, you know, mm-hmm. power that 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 distribution. Um, how can a brand, a B two B brand, find its stories? You know, how does it know or discover what it should be talking about? So I think, like I said earlier, you know, talking to your customers is one of the best ways to find out what's resonating with them. Uh, ultimately the stories we're telling we're we're trying to you know either build our credibility or you know build a connection with our audience educate our audience entertain them and you know again you could look at the data all day long but that conversation you have with a prospect or a customer or a lost customer that's going to tell you so much more about what's resonating with them about what they listen to about what kind of information they went looking somewhere else for right So that's where I I always recommend starting. Talk to your customers, talk to your prospects, ask them what information they need to know, what questions do they have, uh, what are some of the things that concerned them about making uh, making this purchase or this choice, what are some of the alternatives they considered so you can create comparison content. You know, ask them those questions, really understand what their buying experience was like on a deep level and you'll see so many ideas for for where you can come in and create content that helps fill those gaps, answer those questions, guide them along the buyer's journey. And I'm guessing that you can then take those ideas back into a room um, with your team and start to, you know, talk around how does this actually become content. And actually, we had a question from Joe Ray on Twitter when I tweeted out that I was uh, having this interview with you, who did ask, you know, what are some of the tips that you'd, you'd, you'd offer, Melanie, on planning an effective content brainstorm? So once you've got those ideas, like from, from the customers, how do you actually, you know, take that to a blog post or a video or something like that? Yeah, so a couple tips uh, in general here. The, the one thing I always encourage people to do is start with the story. So what I mean by that is too many brainstorms, we start with the format. So we say, I need an infographic idea, I need a blog idea, I need a video idea. And when we do that, we often end up uh, launching a piece of content in the format that it's not best suited to because we tried to force it into what we predetermined, right? So anytime you start a brainstorm, Make sure you're starting with the story. What is it we're trying to get across? What message are we trying to share? And ask yourself toward the end of the brainstorm, okay, now what are the ways we can bring that to life through this format, through that format? Which format is going to work best to tell this story? So that order is really important. Really focus on the message. Uh, What is it that we're trying to say? What are we trying to achieve? That should be what the first portion of your brainstorm is about. And then you worry about how to bring it to life. 
The other thing that I think is really important in a brainstorming environment is you have to create some level of psychological safety. And by that, I mean, we are conditioned as adults not to say things that might not be a good idea, to feel embarrassed if something that we say can't be done. Uh, There's a lot of weird sort of shame and embarrassment and, you know, uh, hesitance to to share outlandish ideas or, you know, things like that because we don't want to be judged and we don't want to be thought poorly of. So it's really important to to do what you need to do with your culture uh, to create that sen- that sense of safety that there's no bad ideas here. We're, th- we're all going to throw out things that may or may not work and that's okay because they're going to go into this big bucket of ideas that we can build on and riff on, you know, and, and use at a later date when we do have more resources. So that kind of expectation is really important if you want people to be sharing freely because I think too often if we don't establish that very explicitly, again, you have people who have a amazing ideas that they've decided already for you that you're not going to like or they've decided already that you're not going to want to do. So you have to create that kind of culture and feeling in your brainstorms if you want that open exchange of ideas. Particularly particularly important uh, for founder, you know, led marketing teams, right? Uh, if you're sitting there with your boss, it that pressure is doubled, right? Um, you don't want to throw out a bad idea and probably on the other side, you don't want to be telling them that they, they've had a bad idea. Um, uh, we were talking a little bit about at the beginning how journalists make uh, the best content marketers. I would add a caveat to that, that I also think those who come from a theater background um, also mm. make great content marketers. Um, I studied uh, drama at university, full aspirations of going on to becoming a, a film director, um, and uh, did a lot of impro, a lot of improvisation classes. And there was a game that we used to play uh, called the the Yes Game. And um, essentially it was, you know, you would come on to the stage and one person would start acting and pretending they were in a situation and no matter what happened you just had to say yes so you could say i'm sat at the bus stop and i'm waiting for the bus and then the other person could say and i brought my pet salmon along and the other person would just have to go along (laughs) with it and you know I, i i often think about that mentality when trying to run creative workshops you know yes and like take take an idea it doesn't matter if initially it doesn't stick and just run with it for a little while. There is no bad idea, as you say. It may not work today. It may work in the future. It may not work in its current format, but we can rejig it and rework it so that it does land. Um, so I guess what I'm saying here is, you know, take an impro class. <laughs> play, play a game of yes and, um, and hopefully that will uh, open up your creative horizons if you're feeling a little bit stuck. Definitely. Yeah, there's a lot of applications for improv in this work. And I think, you know, it's easy to, to map that same experience when you're when you're working with clients, right? I mean, even even in an interpersonal level, you know, your clients are going to ask you for something and sometimes you just got to roll with it and find a way to make it work. Uh, your customers want a little bit extra, you got to find a way to make it happen. So there's a lot to be said for that sort of go with the flow and contribute positively and keep building that mentality, that attitude will, I mean, it will definitely take you farther, but it will also make you a lot less miserable in the process. 100%. So we've spoken about why we need content marketing. We've talked a little bit about how do you create great ideas. Um, I want to talk a little bit about how you can make your content work as hard as possible for you because um, it is a misconception, I would say, to believe that once you have created a blog post or a video, 
that's it, right? You will promote it a couple of times and then it will just be tucked away into, you know, a digital drawer, never to be seen again. Um, what would you, how can a founder or a small marketing team, you know, maximize the reach and the value of a single piece of content? Yeah, I think you're 100% right. I think the instinct is to spend so, so much time on creating the content, and then you just kind of throw it out into the world and hope something good happens, you know? And uh, <laughs> you want to be spending at least as much time, if not more, on distributing that content. So there's a lot of different ways you can sort of get the, the most bang for your buck there. So uh, as you mentioned, I think, you know, reusing that content and, and repurposing it in different places is one way to do that. So just because you shared it on Twitter doesn't mean you can't share it on LinkedIn. LinkedIn or on Facebook or in your email or wherever else you feel like sharing it. Uh, you can also pull excerpts from it. So perhaps there's a, a really good quote or a nice statistic and you might make use of that somewhere else. You know, use that statistic or that quote for a social post or within an email or on your website somewhere. There's there's just so many opportunities to look for when you know, you can you can not only use the content as it is, but break it down into smaller parts as it is as well. And then the next step being exactly what you said, looking to see if there's more formats we can bring this to life. So we have this awesome video, but I wonder if we could extract just the audio and use that on its own. Maybe that becomes our podcast. And maybe we can take that, that audio and have it transcribed. And now we've got the basis of a blog post we can create. So there's just so many opportunities to, to move from one format to another uh, as well to, to get one piece of content that just keeps, uh, keeps bringing value in new ways. It reinforces what you were saying a moment ago about starting with the story, right? Mm -hmm. Rather than starting with the platform that you want to distribute that story on. Because if you've got a great story, it's a much easier ask to repurpose that story across a bunch of different channels. Um, and people will engage with it, right? If the content is good enough, how it's distributed and how it's packaged up um, uh is, you know, it's just other ways of getting it in front of different audiences who may be consuming content in different ways. They're still consuming the same thing. It's just in a different format. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's funny. We know this in our everyday life. I mean, think about the various people in your life that you maintain contact with. Some of them, you know, hey, I'm only ever going to text them. They, they don't have time to pick up the phone or they're not able. Uh, others, you know, they don't text. You need to call them and that's the way you're going to reach them there. You know, others, you maybe write handwritten letters to. I don't know. People still do that, I'm sure. Uh, others, maybe you only my, see them in person. Does. Yeah, there you go. So maybe you only see them in person or you only see them at work or, you know, on, on your, your softball team. I don't know. But we have these different connections in our life and we understand that you can present the same image of who you are in all these different contexts, in all these different ways, uh, you know, we could definitely do the same thing with our marketing. Who are the people that we're speaking to when we're showing up in this environment or that environment or, or this context or that one? So definitely you can take that lesson from your life about how you maintain relationships with different people in different ways and apply it to the way you share your message through content. Absolutely. I want to finish on another question that we got from Twitter from Lakshmi, um, who asked, what do you say to companies who want their content to be totally professional? I think this goes back to something we said right at the beginning that sometimes that, you know, B2B content marketing suffers a little bit from a reputation of being a little bit boring, a little bit dry, a little bit of stale, yeah. you know, light bulb stock images or handshakes or things like that, you know, what what would you say to a company that's trying to kind of wanting to stay totally professional, very formal, very stiff? Um, oh, is, the, is there a need to, you know, shake that off? 
I mean, I, I certainly hope so. I think there are certainly topics, I suppose, where remaining professional and, and maintaining a certain level of, of dignity and respect is incredibly important. You know, for example, if you're working in any sort of space that involves the death or, or loss of loved ones, right? That's a very delicate matter, and you don't want to be making jokes as you're selling caskets or something. That That's just not appropriate. However, mm-hmm. uh, most of us, I think, because we have a handshake stock photo on our website, think that we're not allowed to have any fun. And, you know, our prospects don't think like that either. You know, I know it's so cliche to say it's not B2B, it's human to human. But again, you know, people don't don't like, if we don't like that stuff, what makes us think that our audience is going to like it? You know, we don't engage with that kind of content when we're on the clock or when we're off the clock. So we need to find ways in many cases to connect with our audience in the ways that they want to be connected with. It's wonderful that we want to make white papers and we want to make, you know, quarterly reports and ebooks and and things like that, that's great. Um, but if it's not doing for you what you want it to be doing, then maybe you need to try doing something else. Uh, because if your audience isn't downloading your ebooks or isn't reading your white papers, then what would they engage with? Maybe you need to turn your, your white paper into an infographic and you're going to get a lot more contact that way. Or maybe stop doing the, the ebook and, and break it out as several smaller blog posts, you know? So don't get so stuck on the content that you're creating that you miss out on opportunities to to connect with your audience in in new ways. I think we could all do with taking ourselves just a little less uh, seriously. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, And I think there are some really great examples of companies that, particularly in the B2B world, that are are doing that. Some I'd recommend checking out. Um, There's a company called Trainual, who I believe are based out of Boston, and they help companies create playbooks um, for various functions within their business and they did a great piece of content marketing with the cost of the office um, the US office uh, last year that I think netted them 2,000 new accounts and you know 2 million views or something across social media um, there, are, there are lots of examples out there of B2B companies that have seen the light and are building their USP around the fact that they are being more human and more relatable and creating content that you could consume um, in the middle of a workday equally as well uh, as you're sitting on the couch relaxing at the end of the day. Um, and it's about take, taking that risk, would you say? Yeah, 100%. And I also think that, uh, you know, there's there's something to be said for the way that, that we engage with content. I know it, it's, it might seem, seem silly, but when you come back to the content that you enjoy, cre- you know, consuming just as a person, even you know from your prospects, from the vendors who are pitching you, from the folks that you buy products from, are you reading their white papers? You know, are you are, is that how you engage with them, or do you engage with them in in totally different ways? And so I think you know again, it's easy to put on our marketing hat, or you know in this case our, our marketing tie, uh, and decide that like we have to be stoic or stale or strictly professional all the time, and everything has to be neat and tidy, but you know, people, people like it when you, when you relax a little bit, you know, they want to relax a little bit. And I think you might be relieved to see that a lot of your customers let out an, a nice big exhale they've been holding for a long time when they realize that they don't have to put on a three-piece suit to, to interact with your content anymore. That is a great way to end this episode. Melanie, this has been uh, a phenomenal 40 minutes, um, a masterclass in content marketing, I have to say. Um, and we, I've been furiously writing notes, and I wrote about four new podcast episode <laughs> ideas that I could do with you at some point in the future. Um, and, I, and I hope that I can welcome you back on B2B Better soon. Um, for anyone that is uh, curious to learn more about you and about your process, um, where, where can they do that? <laughs> 
Absolutely. You can learn more about the book. Uh, the book has, has all of this in much, much more detail. It's called The Content Fuel Framework, How to Generate Unlimited Story Ideas. You can find that on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or lots of other places at contentfuelframework.com. Uh, if you want to learn more about me and my team and what we're up to at Foundation, helping B2B and SaaS companies tell better stories, you can do that by going to foundationinc.co. Wonderful. I'll drop the links uh, to the book, to Foundation, and also to your to your Twitter profile in the description of this episode. Melanie Diesel, thank you very much for coming on to B2B Better. Well, thanks for having me. And that's it for this episode of B2B Better. If you found it useful, go ahead and leave a rating, a review, or just shoot me a DM on Twitter telling me so. It will make my day. You can find me at Jason R. Bradwell. Also, why not check out my weekly newsletter, The B2B Byte, where I break down marketing strategies and tactics for B2B leaders into fun size, actionable chunks. You can find the link in the description of this episode. If you've got any questions or there is a burning topic that you'd like to hear me talk about on B2B Better, or you'd like to appear on an episode, you can connect with me on Twitter or find me on LinkedIn. See you next time.